0: This is day 167 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Ezekiel chapters 28 through 32. Lord Heavenly Father, please lay us low today. Please humble our hearts as we enter into your presence. Please allow your name to be glorified in our hearts, and may it teach us valuable lessons. So often, Lord, we exalt ourselves with pride and with arrogance and with feelings of autonomy and independence from you. Lord, we need to be rebuked of those habits, and we need to repent of them. Lord, we completely depend upon you for the breath that we breathe, and for your mercies that are fresh every day. May we draw closer to a better understanding of you as we go through your word today. Please bless this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas? Yet you are a man, and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself, and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have made your heart like the heart of God, therefore, behold, I will bring strangers upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, And they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who are slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of your slayer, though you are a man and not God, in the hands of those who wound you? You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings, that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities, and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled by you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon, prophesy against her, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will be glorified in your midst. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her, and I will manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence to her, and blood to her streets. And the wounded will fall in her midst by the sword upon her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And there will be no more for the house of Israel a prickling briar, or a painful thorn, from any round about them, who scorned them. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and will manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely. And they will build houses, plant vineyards, and live securely when I execute judgments upon all who scorn them round about them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him, and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his rivers, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. I will put hooks in your jaws, and make the fish of your rivers cling to your scales. And I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers. And all the fish of your rivers will cling to your scales. I will abandon you to the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers. You will fall on the open field. You will not be brought together or gathered. I have given you for food to the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the sky. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord because they have been only a staff made of reed to the house of Israel. When they took hold of you with the hand, you broke and tore all their hands, and when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins quake. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon you a sword, and I will cut off from you man and beast. The land of Egypt will become a desolation and waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Because you said the Nile is mine, and I have made it, therefore, behold, I am against you and against your rivers, and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation, from Migdal to Syene and even to the border of Ethiopia. A man's foot will not pass through it, and the foot of a beast will not pass through it, and it will not be inhabited for forty years. So I will make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of desolated lands, and her cities in the midst of cities that are laid waste will be desolate forty years, and I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands. For thus says the Lord God, At the end of forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. I will turn the fortunes of Egypt and make them return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin, and there they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest of the kingdoms, and it will never again lift itself up above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will not rule over the nations and will never again be the confidence of the house of Israel, bringing to mind the iniquity of their having turned to Egypt. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. Now in the twenty-seventh year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder was rubbed bare. But he and his army had no wages from Tyre, for the labor that he had performed against it. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will carry off her wealth and capture her spoil, and seize her plunder, and it will be wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor, which he performed, because they acted for me, declares the Lord God. On that day I will make a horn sprout for the house of Israel, and I will open your mouth in their midst. Then they will know that I am the Lord." The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas, for the day! For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come upon Egypt, and anguish will be in Ethiopia. When the slain fall in Egypt... They take away her wealth, and her foundations are torn down. Ethiopia, Put, Lud, all Arabia, Libya, and the people of the land that is in league will fall with them by the sword. Thus says the Lord God, Indeed, those who support Egypt will fall, and the pride of her power will be coming down, from Migdal to Syene. They will fall within her by the sword, declares the Lord God. They will be desolate in the midst of the desolated lands, and her cities will be in the midst of the devastated cities. And they will know that I am the Lord, when I set a fire in Egypt and all her helpers are broken. On that day, messengers will go forth from me in ships to frighten secure Ethiopia. And anguish will be on them as on the day of Egypt, for behold, it comes. Thus says the Lord God, I will also make the hordes of Egypt cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most ruthless of the nations, will be brought in to destroy the land. And they will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. Moreover, I will make the Nile canals dry, and sell the land into the hands of evil men. And I will make the land desolate, and all that is in it, by the hand of strangers. I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I will also destroy the idols, and make the images cease from Memphis, and they will no longer be a prince in the land of Egypt. And I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make Pathros desolate, set a fire in Zoan, and execute judgments on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Sin, the stronghold of Egypt. I will also cut off the hordes of Thebes. I will set a fire in Egypt. Sin will writhe in anguish. Thebes will be breached, and Memphis. "'will have distresses daily. "'The young men of An and of pe "'will fall by the sword, "'and the women will go into captivity. "'In Tehapines the day will be dark "'when I break there the yoke-bars of Egypt. "'Then the pride of her power will cease in her. "'A cloud will cover her, "'and her daughters will go into captivity.' Thus I will execute judgments on Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and behold, it has not been bound up for healing or wrapped with a bandage that it may be strong to hold the sword. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong and the broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, and disperse them among the lands. For I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, and put my sword in his hand. I will break the arms of Pharaoh, so that he will groan before him with the groanings of a wounded man. Thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh will fall. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. When I scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands, then they will know that I am the Lord. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh king of Egypt, and to his hordes, Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and forest shade, and very high, and its top was among the clouds. The waters made it grow, the deep made it high. With its rivers it continually extended all around its planting place, and sent out its channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore its height was loftier than all the trees of the field. AND ITS BOWS BECAME MANY, AND ITS BRANCHES LONG, BECAUSE OF MANY WATERS AS IT SPREAD THEM OUT. ALL THE BIRDS OF THE HEAVENS NESTED IN ITS BOWS, AND UNDER ITS BRANCHES ALL THE BEASTS OF THE FIELD GAVE BIRTH, AND ALL GREAT NATIONS LIVED UNDER ITS SHADE. SO IT WAS BEAUTIFUL IN ITS GREATNESS, IN THE LENGTH OF ITS BRANCHES, FOR ITS ROOTS EXTENDED TO MANY WATERS. The cedars in God's garden could not match it, the cypresses could not compare with its boughs, and the plane trees could not match its branches. No tree in God's garden could compare with it in its beauty. I made it beautiful with the multitude of its branches, and all the trees of Eden, which were in the garden of God, were jealous of it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because it is high in stature, and has set its top among the clouds, and its heart is haughty in its loftiness, therefore I will give it into the hand of a despot of the nations. He will thoroughly deal with it. According to its wickedness, I have driven it away. Alien tyrants of the nations have cut it down and left it. On the mountains and in all the valleys its branches have fallen, and its bows have been broken in all the ravines of the land. And all the peoples of the earth have gone down from its shade and left it. On its ruin all the birds of the heavens will dwell, and all the beasts of the field will be on its fallen branches, so that all the trees by the waters may not be exalted in their stature, nor set their top among the clouds nor their well-watered mighty ones stand erect in their height. For they have all been given over to death, to the earth beneath, among the sons of men, with those who go down to the pit. Thus says the Lord God, On the day when it went down to Sheol, I caused lamentations. I closed the deep over it and held back its rivers. And its many waters were stopped up, and I made Lebanon mourn for it, and all the trees of the field wilted away on account of it. I made the nations quake at the sound of its fall, when I made it go down to Sheol, with those who go down to the pit. And all the well watered trees of Eden, the choicest and best of Lebanon, were comforted in the earth beneath. They also went down with it to Sheol to those who were slain by the sword, and those who were its strength lived under its shade among the nations. To which among the trees of Eden are you thus equal in glory and greatness? Yet you will be brought down with the trees of Eden, to the earth beneath. You will lie in the midst of the uncircumcised, with those who were slain by the sword. So is Pharaoh and all his hordes, declares the Lord God. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You compared yourself to a young lion of the nations. Yet you are like the monster in the seas, and you burst forth in your rivers, and muddied the waters with your feet, and fouled their rivers. Thus says the Lord God, Now I will spread my net over you, with a company of many peoples, and they shall lift you up in my net. I will leave you on the land, I will cast you on the open field. And I will cause all the birds of the heavens to dwell on you. And I will satisfy the beasts of the whole earth with you. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your refuse. I will also make the land drink the discharge of your blood as far as the mountains, and the ravines will be full of you. And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you, and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations, into lands which you have not known. I will make many peoples appalled at you, And their kings will be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them. And they will tremble every moment, every man for his own life, on the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, The sword of the king of Babylon will come upon you. By the swords of the mighty ones I will cause your hordes to fall. All of them are tyrants of the nations. And they will devastate the pride of Egypt, and all its hordes will be destroyed. I will also destroy all its cattle from beside many waters, and the foot of man will not muddy them any more, and the hoofs of beasts will not muddy them. Then I will make their waters settle, and will cause their rivers to run like oil, declares the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt a desolation, and the land is destitute of that which filled it, when I smite all those who live in it, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is a lamentation, and they shall chant it. The daughters of the nations shall chant it. Over Egypt and over all her hordes they shall chant it, declares the Lord God. In the twelfth year, on the fifteenth of the month, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail for the hordes of Egypt, and bring it down, her and the daughters of the powerful nations, to the netherworld, with those who go down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and make your bed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those who are slain by the sword. She is given over to the sword. They have drawn her and all her hordes away. The strong among the mighty ones shall speak of him and his helpers from the midst of Sheol. They have gone down. They lie still, the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Assyria is there and all her company. Her graves are round about her. All of them are slain fallen by the sword, whose graves are set in the remotest part of the pit, and her company is round about her grave. All of them are slain, fallen by the sword, who spread terror in the land of the living. Elam is there, and all her hordes around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who went down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth who instilled their terror in the land of the living, and bore their disgrace with those who went down to the pit. They have made a bed for her among the slain with all her hordes. Her graves are around it. They are all uncircumcised, slain by the sword, although their terror was instilled in the land of the living. And they bore their disgrace with those who went down to the pit they were put in the midst of the slain. Meshach, Tubal, and all their hordes are there. Their graves surround them. All of them were slain by the sword, uncircumcised, though they instilled their terror on the land of the living. Nor do they lie beside the fallen heroes of the uncircumcised, who went down to Sheol with their weapons of war, and whose swords were laid under their heads. But the punishment for their iniquity rested on their bones, though the terror of those heroes was once in the land of the living. But in the midst of the uncircumcised you will be broken and lie with those slain by the sword. There also is Edom, its kings and all its princes, who for all their might are laid with those slain by the sword. They will lie with the uncircumcised, and with those who go down to the pit. There also are the chiefs of the north, all of them, and all the Sidonians, who in spite of the terror resulting from their might, in shame, went down with the slain. So they lay down uncircumcised, with those slain by the sword, and bore their disgrace with those who go down to the pit. These Pharaoh will see, and he will be comforted, for all his hordes slain by the sword, even Pharaoh and all his army, declares the Lord God. Though I instilled a terror of him in the land of the living, yet he will be made to lie down among the uncircumcised, along with those slain by the sword, even Pharaoh and all his hordes, declares the Lord God. Okay, so this should not take very long. We definitely are going to explore chapter 28, but the rest of this is judgment against Egypt, so that should be pretty short to explain. But let's spend most of our time today in chapter 28, so because this one is a very interesting piece of scripture. So the beginning of this shows that the there's going to be judgment on Tyre, just as there has been for a couple of chapters now, and specifically against the king of Tyre. But whenever you get to verse 11, things shift, and it seems like God is not talking directly to the king of Tyre anymore, but instead is talking to somebody else, somebody greater than an earthly king. And so it is widely believed, and I believe it as well, that the scriptures here from verses 11 through 19 are interchangeably between the king of Tyre and Satan. Why do I say that? Because, first of all, this particular person described by God here has attributes that are not human. And there is very specific language of things that the king of Tyre never did. So it goes. sometimes goes to whatever the king of Tyre did, but then it goes to Satan. Now, why that? So there's a strong possibility that Satan was involved with whatever Tyre was doing. That's most likely the case, because we know that Satan does that. He has always done that since the very beginning. That he tries to get behind people of influence, he tries to get behind people of power in order to pursue his nefarious deeds. So this shouldn't surprise us. But whenever you start seeing God describe him here, it's very interesting. So if we read it here, verse 11 Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. And then it talks about things that are not human, these are superhuman attributes. You had the seal of perfection? There's no human that is perfect. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty? Maybe, but. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Wait a minute. The king of Tyre was not in the garden of Eden. So obviously we're talking about somebody else. And at this point, there were only three people beside God that were in the garden. Adam, Eve, which are long dead, and Satan. So it has to be Satan that we're talking about here. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So it makes more sense when you look at you had the seal of perfection. You were in heaven. You were in God's direct presence. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So he was a beautiful angel. And we saw this same kind of description in Isaiah as well. So we know that in God's heavenly kingdom, in the angelic realms, Satan was a prominent angel. In fact, he's described as a cherub. So the same kind of creatures that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1, the ones that are covered with six wings and with eyes all over, had four heads with different faces on them. Apparently, Satan is one of those. Now, we don't know how he exactly looks, and if he does look like that, but it's possible. So let me ask you this. Why do we often depict in church world Satan, as being a red imp with a pitchfork and a spiked tail and a little red devil. Why do we do that to him? Well, that started a long time ago, in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. You know, you're talking about maybe a thousand years ago. During that time, the Catholic Church created this as a parody of him or a mockery of him. So they thought, you know what? We hate Satan so much, let's make fun of him. Let's mock him, and let's abuse what he looks like. So we're going to make this ugly little creature, and we're going to call that Satan. Well, that they thought was funny or amusing at the time, but unfortunately, that backfired, because Satan is much more clever than we are in some ways. And he's been around for a very long time, so he knows very well how this world system is. So he allowed this image to be made, and instead of being offended by it, he found it funny. How do I know this? Because he uses this image to deceive people as to what he really is like. And not only that... But because it completely contradicts what the Bible says he looks like, and that's what we expect him to look like, then we are deceived and we are blind. Because he is an angel, and he appears as an angel of light. He was perfect in beauty. I think as a default, in even in pop culture, we expect this red, ugly version of Satan, rather than, An angel that tries to represent God in some way, but is not godly at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He uses Scripture so well that he deceives us all. And yes, Satan knows Scripture. He absolutely does. We're going to see that in the New Testament when he he and Jesus are battling in the wilderness. He knows the Scripture. And just like James says as well, do you believe that God is one? you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The words of God in the Bible are not a surprise to Satan and his demons. They know exactly what's going to happen to them. They don't believe everything that God says, and they don't like what he says, and therefore they don't trust him, and they don't believe in him. But they know the ending of the book. And they know where they're going to end up at the, at the final days. So you don't think he's trying hard to disrupt as much of the world as possible before that happens? He knows what's going to happen to him. So he's going to take down as many people as he can with him. You look at the world today, there should be no surprise that that is the agenda. And it because of the internet and things like that, He now has international access. From one point, he can affect the whole world. He is not God. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He is very intelligent. He is very powerful. He is invisible. But he can only be in one place at one time. He doesn't know everything. He can't read your mind. He doesn't know what's going on in your heart. So we have an advantage. In some ways. And God ultimately is still sovereign, and Satan can do nothing to him. So he still has to answer to God. And we saw that in the book of Job, didn't we? We saw that somehow, even though Satan had already sinned, he was still allowed access to heaven to reconcile to God what he's been doing. So I don't know if he still has access to heaven now. I don't think he does, but I can't prove that. But at the same time, we know that he walks this earth. He's not sitting in hell on a throne somewhere, because hell is not going to be a fun place for him either. He is walking this earth, trying to rule his earthly kingdom here. Verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. It seems he had some sort of a special place of prominence, Guarding the throne of God. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. That's an important statement to make because Satan is a created being. He does not share equality with God. He is inferior to God in every way. He In Isaiah, we saw he wants to be God, and he wants to defy him and destroy him, but he cannot. He can't even begin to try. Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. He is in complete subjection to God. So he was created blameless, but it seems here we get a little insight as to how angels are, that they had choices too. They are not automatons to where they have no will of their own. They have a will. And Satan chose his. Now, the question has been asked to me before is, how is that fair? How is God being fair with the angels? How come Satan sinned and was cast out of heaven and became known as a demon, a fallen angel? And how come he didn't get a second chance? How come all these demons and fallen angels, how come they didn't get a second chance? How come man got all the benefits? Well, I don't know the complete answer to that. I personally think that we were made in God's image, because that's what the Bible says, but I also think that the angels were made in God's image in some way. Different from us, but similar. And yet, the thing is, We believe in a God that we cannot see, and that requires faith, that requires something to be shown to us, and we have to trust it. The angels had an advantage over us. They dwelled with God in the heavenly realms. They are spiritual beings, so they spend their time with their spiritual God. They are in the direct presence of God. They get to see his holiness, his full glory, all the time. Wouldn't you think that that advantage would cause you to never defy him? Well, apparently not, because Satan was in the direct presence of God often, and he was in charge of covering the throne of God, protecting it. And even then, he still sinned, and he still was puffed up with pride, and caused himself to be cast down. I think that's why angels don't have the offer of salvation that we do. I think it's because angels are in direct presence of God, and there is nothing greater than that in the entire existence. There is nothing in any form of existence greater than the presence of God. Therefore, if you cannot accept that at face value for what it is, then you've already had your chance, and you do not get another one. I think only because we have not seen the glory of God ourselves and made our own conclusion from that, I think that's why we're offered a second chance. But again, that's my interpretation. You can take it for a grain of salt. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. So it was pride. Pride is what caused Satan to fall at the beginning. Pride. I am so beautiful. I am so much better than these other angels. I have so much wisdom. Then I can be just like God. Nope. I cast you to the ground. And I kicked you out of heaven. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you. Uh, It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you are among the people are appalled at you. You You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. So we see that this is a section of Scripture where we see Satan's judgment drawn out a bit. So it is fully announced. And we know by reading the book of Revelation that this will not be fully consummated until he is cast into the lake of fire forever. So even though Satan's position in God's government is terminated... He somehow still had access to heaven at one point. I don't know if he still does. But when it comes to the time of the tribulation that we see in the book of Revelation, he will be cast from heaven, and he will be restricted to only being on earth. So perhaps he still does have access to heaven. At the beginning of the millennial kingdom, he will be cast into the abyss for a period of a thousand years. And then after that, he will be released for the final battle, and then he will be thrown into hell forever. So we can see some parts of this maybe directly to the king of Tyre. Is it a comparison of sorts, where he exalted himself because of his beauty, just like Satan? We see that he was established by God and did all these wonderful things throughout their history, but then he was cast down like Satan was. So I think there's a direct comparison that God is making between the actual king of Tyre and Satan. But it's very clear that the direct message of what God is saying is directed to Satan. And again, for all we know, Satan is the one that is propping up the king of Tyre to be as corrupt as he is. Which, he does that throughout history. He indwells and he possesses people and manipulates them for his will and i would not be surprised if he's doing that in the world today there are so much there's so much evil going on there's so many evil people in power uh, it's so obvious that they're behind it their agenda is not even a secret anymore it is out in the open it is boastful and it is so obvious so it makes you wonder is this the end maybe we don't know the lord will return when it's time moving on Beginning in verse 20, we see a judgment against Sidon, which is the neighbor of Tyre. And so they're not going to be spared. They're going to be punished in some way. And then when we get to verse 24 through 26, this is a restoration of Israel, but not one that we will see anytime soon, because it says that they will live securely in their land They will build houses, plant vineyards, live securely. God has to say it even twice. Anytime God repeats himself, it's something to take note of because he doesn't do it for no reason. So they will live securely. Has Israel ever lived securely? No, because right now, since they became a nation in the 1940s, they are constantly at conflict with people around them. They were always conquered after this time period. So no, this is not describing a present time. This is talking about the millennial kingdom with the second coming of Christ. There will be peace and safety for that nation during then, but not yet. Then going through chapter 29, we see the certainty of judgment against Egypt. We know that they have a history with Israel, and they exalted themselves as being so great, saying that we made the Nile ourselves, the Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. They have been a prominent superpower for a very long time in the ancient world, and God is done with them. They continue to be a thorn in his side, so he is going to do something about it. So we know they have a complicated past with Israel, right? If we recall, even as far back as Genesis, that the fertility of Egypt drew even Abraham there at one point. And then about 200 years later, Joseph was sold into slavery there, and then he became second in command of Egypt, and then his whole family came, and we know the story. Then they became a prominent nation, and they became slaves in the land of Egypt. God rescued them out of that and made them their own nation within Canaan. And then we see later on that we still have some interactions with Egypt. For example, Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter as his first wife. And then from then on, they were always at odds with Israel. So they have a complicated past with Israel, and God is going to exact a lengthy, detailed judgment against them. So we know, if we even look through secular historical documents, that so often they exalted their Pharaoh as being a god himself. And so we know that God does not like other people propping themselves up as God, and so he's going to cut them down and is going to remove their power. He is going to bring down the proud and he's going to exalt the humble. He, that's, his, that's how he does things. And it's very interesting as well, because we know that Egypt was a great power back in those days. But think of it now. Egypt is still a nation today, right? But how powerful is it today? God was very clear that it would never again become such an influence over the world and that it would not be such a dominating nation like it was in the past and god has completely fulfilled that egypt still exists obviously but it is a very small country with really no power anymore so exactly as described in the bible it has come true and To us, at this point, it shouldn't surprise us. We know that God always keeps his word. He fulfills all his promises. But if you need evidence that the Bible is true, if you need physical proof that everything the Bible says comes to pass, this is one of those places where you can say, look, this is so obvious that God predicted this hundreds of years before it actually happened and it happened. I mean, that's very specific, because there's so often, there's people that do fortune-telling, tarot cards, you know, astrology, the zodiac stuff, and you look at their predictions, and they're very vague, they're very general, and you, you just throw a dart and probably hit that, right? Not a very hard thing to do. And they do that intentionally because it's so ambiguous. But when God prophesies something, he's very specific, and sometimes to the year specific, and it comes to pass exactly as he said. Bear in mind that the Bible was written by one Holy Spirit, yes, but it was written by over 60 different men over the course of 4,000 years that tells you something that there's very, something very special about the Bible. That is a one book. It is one narrative. And God always comes out on top because he is true. So we see chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, and chapter 32 all being a judgment, a lamentation, a comparison of Assyria to Egypt, All these different things that shows that Egypt is going to fall. And it will never again be a mighty nation like it once was. And this is true even to this day, thousands of years later. So God is very much correct in what he did, as well as kept every single word that he said. And I think this is a good place for us to stop for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.